to Radical Advice on BFF.fm. I'm your host, Lily Sloan. If you haven't heard the show before, basically, I'm a psychotherapist who uh, likes to take your life questions and usually bring in a guest and talk about the intersection of the personal and political and how we can survive this really difficult time that we're living in, the evil timeline that we're living in. Uh, This last weekend was uh, no exception to that. And the weekend before. And I am ashamed to have last week just not even mentioned the shooting in Gilroy. Uh, both both weekends kind of showed me both sides of how I respond to these things. One was to just kind of be numb and not think about it, not engage. And then on the other side of the spectrum, getting incredibly engaged but not necessarily in a productive way and just feeling super stuck on Twitter, super ragey, really dysregulated, unable to know like what to do, totally collapsing in that hopelessness, helplessness feeling. So we're going to be talking about that more today. But I want to do something a little different right now at the beginning. I'm so glad that my friend Lily's son is joining me on the show today. Right now she's doing a wardrobe adjustment. (laughs) (laughs) Lily, your microphone is on. Oh, hi. Hi, I just turned it on. Great. Thanks for being here. I, so before we go into the regular structure of the show, I really need your help. I'm right here. Oh. No, don't say stuff like that or I'll cry on the show. <laughs> That's my goal. <laughs> um, so I know, I know that my relationship to Twitter is not serving me. It's not helping anybody else. I'm not going to like never go on Twitter. I accept that and there's value that I get from it. Mm-hmm. But the just zoning out it's like a combo of zoning out and just being like totally like wrecked with like emotion mm-hmm. um and from the onslaught of hot takes and opinions and articles and all the things that I could I could find if I consciously decided I wanted to um it's just not working Mm-mm. It's not working. <laughs> I'm like not doing well with that. Mm-hmm. So I know what I need to do, but I've been having a really hard time doing it. Mm. I need to delete the app from my phone. It's a big deal. I mean, I've done it before, but it does feel really hard to do. <laughs> I'm, I think I'm afraid I'm going to miss something. Or that I'm gonna like also it's it's like a, a thing to do on my phone mm-hmm. when I'm numbing out in front of like 
I've been rewatching the show Community, <laughs> which is great, by the way. Oh my God, their Law and Order episode, so funny. Um, but yeah, I need I need to like limit how much of this I'm doing, and it's fine if I check on my desktop. But <sighs> so you can, can do this. All right, you can, can you hold, can you hold my yes, hand? I okay, hand right now. All right, I'm pressing down on it. Oh wait, that didn't work. Ah, damn it, that just opened it. Uh, don't look, don't okay, look. I'm pressing down. You can see it's doing the little bouncy thing yep. with the X in the yep. corner. Okay, I'm hitting the X, and now I'm hitting delete. Wait, why didn't that work? Okay. There it goes. Oh. You did it. You did it. Okay, okay. Did it. I did it. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Good job. I really Good job. I really needed you for that. I'm so glad you were here to support me. I could see, I could see all like the energy it took to do that. And at the same time, I'm like, whatever. <laughs> okay, it's gone. <laughs> I don't even care. I don't even care now. Because uh, mm-hmm. um, it can be overwhelming, right? Yeah, it's just like, it, it's. I think the feeling that I was experiencing the last couple of days was just like so stuck yeah. in a cycle, yeah. in a pattern, like unable to break free. I, yeah. And I want to talk more as we get into the show about... Uh, the you know coping strategies and how we're dealing with what's going on mm-hmm. but for right now I'm gonna do the part where now that I've deleted Twitter from my phone <laughs> we do a little bit of a mindful check-in with ourselves mm-hmm. so um, I made a new piece of music yesterday so excited for this opening so I'm kind of back to radical advice has its own song can hear it in the background it'll probably evolve um but yeah just take a a moment to step away from whatever you're doing maybe you're looking at twitter on your phone maybe you're which is okay it's okay maybe you're um dealing with work emails whatever it is it, it can wait it can wait like two minutes and just notice your breathing. Notice any sensations in your body. Maybe it's little aches and pains. Maybe it's just a light tingling. Even when there's nothing wrong, even when our bodies are kind of in a neutral place, if you tune in closer, you can find really subtle sensations. Things that are just kind of operating all the time that we miss. what your mind wants to do. Maybe it's picking up on little random associations and going off running. Maybe there's a little anxiousness anxiousness attached or maybe not. Maybe you're feeling present and safe. 
each moment, each sensation is over within seconds of when it began. Maybe the same feelings come back again, but nothing stays the same. Just staying with your breath and your body. Oh, okay. I need to do that more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, Lily... Um, since I already brought you on the mm-hmm. microphone a little early, do you want to introduce your song? Oh, wow. I think I messaged you and I forgot about it. It's a Nocturne by Chopin, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nocturne, uh, nine, uh, op, op nine, uh, yeah. no two. <laughs> I mean, number two, but I don't, yeah. That's funny. Cause I think part of the reason I, I gave you a piece of classical music is I've been listening to only classical music on my way into work. Oh. And that has been part of my self-care. Yeah. Because it's like, you know, I'm I'm waking up in the morning and it's like soothing. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. Well, let's let's do more of the soothing and if you're able to stay in that kind of mindful place through this song, do it. Um it's okay if you needed to jump back into the fray of things, but uh here's here's Chopin Nocturne number nine two <laughs> in e flat it's opus nine number two. Oh, opus that's what it is right. it's opus yeah i'm like up what is the op <laughs> opus nine number two uh and uh yeah you're listening to radical advice on bff dot fm best frequencies forever keep listening got some good stuff coming your way today
and you are listening to local San Francisco classical radio here on um, <laughs> classical radio radio <laughs> with our very soft voices speaking to you through microphones. Thank you for tuning in. All right. So that <laughs> was a Chopin Nocturne Opus 9, number two Yay. in E flat, E flat major, I believe. Yes, I think that's in a major key. Um, joining me here on BFF.FM's Radical Advice is Lily Sun. Hi. Hi. This is your second time on the show. I know. It's really fun to be back. You are now becoming a radio regular. <laughs> All of two times. Yes. Well, you've also been on my podcast. That's true. So, That's true. Yeah. If that. you... Uh, want to hear that you can listen back to the episode of a therapist walks into a bar that's about dating i forget what i called that episode mm. hmm i don't know mm. anyway dating sucks um <laughs> <laughs> that's the point that's the main point. come on lily be honest seriously how do you feel about that <laughs> oh. um if you are just tuning in Lily's son helped me um, before in the, in the opening of the show. Lily's son supported me and held my hand physically while I deleted the Twitter app from my phone mm-hmm. to get a little sanity in my mm-hmm. life. Um, so thank you so much for that. You are a very supportive friend. I'm honored to be here. Well, the fact is, is that, you know. Lilies are pretty great. So <laughs> I, I I pre-named this episode. Do two lilies make one super lily? I saw that. Probably, right? Probably. Yeah. I don't know the mechanics of that, mm-hmm. but and why is it when we say people sandwiches, we name the bread, but when it's food sandwiches, you name the filling. Oh wow! <laughs> oh shit, <laughs> Lily. I was not. Don't. <laughs> I just mess with your morning. Well, I just, I'm supposed to be asking the tough questions. <laughs> mm. uh, wow. I just, I think we need to, I think we need to like call this off. <laughs> I need some time. I need some time to process. <laughs> well, um, we'll come back to that. Hopefully okay. we'll have an answer to that question okay. at some point during the show. Um, so stay tuned. Uh, but, uh, I just want to start with like, you know, for people who haven't heard you on the show before, the 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 rundown of, you know, who who are you? What's your favorite uh flavor of Tic Tac, you know, whatever. Do those still exist? Tic Tacs, yeah, Tic Tacs wow. still exist. I haven't had one in a long time, but wow. oh okay. yes. Oh, Wait, yes. so do I do the rundown or do you do the rundown? Well, you do the rundown. I do the rundown. <laughs> okay. Well, you know what? I could also make it easier and say, Lily, tell me about the work you do. Ah, thank you. <laughs> Good prompting <laughs> question. Um, so I, too, am a psychotherapist here in San Francisco, and my practice is down in the financial district. Mm-hmm. I work with couples and individuals, but my specific niche is, I call it singlehood and relatability. And it's not just about dating, but it's about the single life here in the Bay Area, because we have a wide confluence of very different lifestyles, 
um, you know, from LGBTQ issues to kink and sex positive culture to online dating and hookup culture. And it's really different than a lot of different places in the world. So Mm -hmm. um, and it's not just about dating because you could be perfectly happy being single. But, hey, everybody's having babies and moving moving away and your parents are like, hey, what's going on with you? So Mm -hmm. um, that's what I specialize in. Yay. Yay. Yeah, we have a lot of good conversations about those issues. Um, Some of them involve ranting. (laughs) Very Uh, healthy ranting. Healthy ranting. When two lilies rant. On a road trip. That's what we should do. Rant on a road trip. Yeah, I guess we need to plan a road trip. Yeah. A ranting road trip. And then we can put this all in the air. I'm sure people would really love that. (laughs) Totally unedited. (laughs) Sometimes we rant and sometimes we console. Yeah, yeah, it's It's true. Sometimes we give advice on the radio. Yeah, I guess that'll happen today a little bit. Um, So, yeah, is there anything that has been going on in that realm that's kind of, um, I don't know, that you've been frustrated with or been surprised by in terms of things that clients are bringing in or that you've experienced that you'd want to talk about on the Mm, radio mm -hmm, mm -hmm. give me a second as I think about this I mean that you know clients are always bringing things in and you know things are always going on in my personal life as well so yeah I mean online dating continues to be this evolving area right mm-hmm. and it's always interesting to hear how people engage in it and how people are trying not to engage in it uh-huh. it's interesting that you just just deleted an app because we so like live through this mitigated life right through mm-hmm. apps a lot now like mm-hmm. that's how we get our news that's how we often get our food and that's how we often get our dates so right, right. yeah um and it's interesting well i will say this much so as a as a little social experiment i had asked you know, uh, <clears throat> my Facebook friends, you know, uh, thousands of them, um, you know, where does one meet someone in real life? And I, I set out like a very short list of like four or five qualifying things like I forget all of them, but basically that they have to be single. Yeah. Um, and that they have to be, you know, my age range. And, uh, you know, it was nothing about looks or a job or anything like that. It was just and it was surprising because what I got back was not what I expected. You know, people. Off, I'm trying to remember what the five were like single, straight, uh, for myself, monogamously oriented, um, and in my age range. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and then I said, might, might, might make a good partner. And I got back several hundred replies. Oh my God. <laughs> um, another friend of mine posted her, to her, to her, uh, you know, feed as well. So collectively, we got several hundred replies. And most of them were things we get tried already. Um, yeah. You know, online dating. Um, go do, you know, like clubs and stuff, but and I mean, clubs like doing things, not going clubbing, but I think some people said <laughs> that as well. Um, but the surprising thing was the, the, the few men who responded were like, they were like, go somewhere real niche. Like, um, I think deep sea fishing was one of them. Um, uh, two different people said go to the shooting range, which I really don't know how I feel about that. Given oh, the I know current, how I feel about Given that. the current climate. Uh, and so it's like, I, uh. Yeah, I'm not going to meet the guy for me at a shooting range. Yeah, me neither. I don't think. But then again, you know, who knows, right? I mean, in some ways, it's like, if that's where they're hanging out. Um, but you're right. But wh- yeah, why Why would they be hanging out? Yeah. Although I do have, I have a, I have a female friend. Yeah. Um, who is married and fairly progressive, but it's interesting. She's putting together a ladies night to go learn how to shoot guns. And... 
I, if I was going to be in town at that point, I might have gone only because I often get into online arguments with people who are like, well, you can't talk about gun, gun control because you've never shot a gun before. Which is such a bullshit right? argument. I can talk about children, even though, I, you know, I don't have kids, but. I can tell you I have shot a gun. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Actually, I have shot a gun before, too, yeah. but. <laughs> I have shot a gun. You know what I didn't like about it mm-hmm. was that I liked it too much. Mm. Like, it felt uncomfortably satisfying and i don't and you know i'm as much as i would be uh it's amazing our dating conversation has actually veered into this topic (laughs) that we kind of need to talk about anyway you know on purpose (laughs) (laughs) good job you should be the radio professional here um i i'm not i'm definitely I do not see a point for guns and I like any. And so I, I'm definitely more on the extreme in that range, but I don't expect us to eliminate all guns. And I know that there are people who are more responsible about them. And there are kinds of guns that are not as deadly. Uh, I mean, potentially deadly as um, I mean, all guns can be deadly, but there are kinds that are not as instantly uh deadly in such a mass way as these semi-automatic rifles which should be banned absolutely like just without a doubt like they need to be banned but I still I still do not I just don't think that it's worth it whatever pleasure people get from it I just don't think it's worth it because they make destruction so easy Mm -hmm. and we are all destructive we all have the capacity to lose our shit and be destructive. Mm-hmm. I know I do. And if, and there are points in my life where I've been so hopeless or so angry mm. that it scares me to think of what that could, could have, those moments could have been if something so readily available and like destructive was just right there mm-hmm, at my fingertips mm-hmm. and this sort of like dovetails with you know and this has been we've been people have been talking about this for a while that it's not a mental health issue it's no. not just a mental health issue let me put it that way yeah it's, right? it's like it's it's just it's yeah it's white supremacy and it's, uh, yeah. and it's patriarchy and and toxic, toxic mas- masculinity yep. Yep. and <sighs> it's being in a in a culture that is violent towards people, whether we're talking about gun violence or oppression. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In the, in the manipulates, um, young men into thinking that they're victims, young white men into thinking that they're victims. Yeah. And that they're in danger. Yeah. And that they have something that they deserve to protect. By killing other people. Mm-hmm. So that being said, <laughs> I guess the shooting range isn't where we're going to meet the guy. <laughs> the, and, and like, yeah. And I, I, I think if you're curious about what it feels like to shoot a gun, a shooting range is probably the place to go. Yes. Because that's going to be safer. Yep. Um, I don't know where else you would well, just, I mean, I mean, randomly go try out a gun. Maybe not, but if you live in a more rural environment, maybe right, you would actually true. learn you how might... to hunt from people who actually know how to do that. Yeah, yeah, you might know someone. Yeah, 
Yeah, I've met some people who are into hunting who um, have kind of gotten into it in a sort of hipster artisan farm to table <laughs> sort of way who like do it all with like bows and arrows and spears and stuff. Oh, yeah. Which is kind of cool and like like get really into the connection to nature mm-hmm. and like tracking mm-hmm. the animals. Getting really and, close to your food in a whole different way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I really, I think that's really interesting because yeah, I'm a meat eater. Like that's violence. You know, it's violence to be a meat eater. I'm not. And I, I I think I accept that being uh, accept is the wrong word. I'm conflicted about, but I understand that Mm -hmm. being alive means having a footprint. Yep. And it means impacting the world around me. Mm -hmm. Um, And at some point in my life, I may find a way to be vegetarian or vegan that works for me. Um, I have not yet and it doesn't feel like the right fit for me mm-hmm. <laughs> at this time you know me i'm an omnivore yeah i eat everything well except for eggplants oh well right because you want to protect the egg the poor but, eggplants you know, that's it's, fine it's really about eggplant rights that's right <laughs> <laughs> i know i understand i understand you <laughs> yeah um i do uh yeah, I do want to say, like, kind of in in relation to the, I don't know. I'm like, do we go more into the gun thing or do we go in, more into the dating thing? <laughs> <That> <laughs> because is, we are in a minute going to need to do a listener question yeah. and we can go in more depth into one well, of those topics Well, it's just funny that that's later. the Venn diagram for this morning. Dating and gun violence. I mean, that's the Venn diagram for my life right now, uh, honestly. Like, yeah. And, um yeah, it's interesting because if we unpack that a little bit more, it's like one is like ultimate destruction and one is like wanting to build something and wanting mm-hmm. to create in a way. Like mm-hmm. whether whether you want to have kids or not, it's mm-hmm. like creating a... F- a um, uh, and whether you want to have like a long-term monogamous partnership or not, it's still, it's like creating, it's creating something. It's creating a connection. It's creating um, like... F- you know, certain feelings of, of love. And I think it's about hope and it's easy to feel very hopeless in it mm-hmm. <laughs> on both of those circles in both. Yeah. yeah so yeah. yeah, one of the, the Venn diagram overlap of dating and gun violence is hopelessness and fear and fear and vulnerability. Yeah. Fair. Because we don't want to die and we don't, and, and to survive, we can't really be alone. I mean, you can be single. You can be single and not be alone. But those, but dating is connected to that. Trying to find partnership is connected to that for sure. Mm. And we need people to survive. That was beautifully woven together. <laughs> wow, you took some pretty disparate points and like actually kind of beautiful together around like trying to find love right? and trying to find a path forward in this life. I think part of why it feels so much more desperate to me now is because of what's going on in the country, mm. because of gun violence, because of this, you know, terrifying regime that we're living in and, and, yeah. and all the things that have been unveiled and the are we headed towards an apocalypse or or at least towards a revolution or like some kind of violence or like something that's going to cause a lot of upheaval beyond the upheaval that's already been caused like what what do I need to do to feel safe and to feel empowered and all of that and yeah uh yeah like 
I gotta say, doing that single sucks. Also, I think maybe one of the commonalities between the two is a sense of helplessness. Yeah. Right? We might come back to this more later, but I think there's this idea of like, you know, the fact that you deleted your Twitter was because on some level, I imagine... It's overwhelming to like feel like you're trying to do something through a medium that's so tiny, but also being overwhelmed by everything you see. Yeah. And that literally is also dating, right? Like both on both those areas. Ugh, it's so yeah. helpless. Yeah, it's it's really overwhelming and, and definitely brings out that feeling so so much. It's like what like what can I do? Like there's only so much in both yeah. realms that we even have any control over. Exactly, because it's all about someone else. Yeah. Right? Like, Having their volition. Right. And, you know, yeah. So I do want to I do want to come back to what can we do, especially about um, gun violence stuff, because that's been a lot of my process the last couple of days. And I want to come back to that after we um, in the second part of our discussion around 11. So cool. Let's take a song break. Maybe I'll wipe these tears from my face. I was like, is this the first time you've cried on the radio? Oh, God, no. (laughs) It happens almost every week. (laughs) Though right now, there's a little more of a like, oh, my God, I really need to like contain it. And we're both, we both had insomnia last night. And like being tired makes it so much harder to to, like keep it together, man. All right. So uh, I was looking into... um, well, no, I'm not going to play that yet. <laughs> I'm going to play <laughs> something that reflects a little bit of how I'm feeling. Sorry. Um, I may have played it on the show before also, but like it was a long time ago and it's fitting. So here's Weary, Weary by Solange. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Um, you are listening to Radical Advice on BFF.FM. Stay tuned. <laughs> Face in the world. 
<clears throat> oh yeah, that's good timing. <laughs> you, that's how that song ends with a big cough. Solange just goes. <coughs> um, you, you're listening to Radical Advice on BFF.fm. Got a radical cough there from Lily's son, um, and the song was a uh, "Weary" by Solange from her album "A Seat at the Table." <sighs> yeah, that one, it's beautiful, but it always, I feel that one, I feel it. So we're going to do a listener question, and and then later we'll come back more to kind of uh, self, self-care slash action coping around uh, the gun violence issue and white supremacy and uh, all that, all that stuff. <clears throat> So here, here's a, here's a question. I'm going to read this out. It's a little bit long, but I think it's something a lot of people can relate to, um, in, in various ways. Um, so here we go. You ready? Yep. My boyfriend and I have been together for eight years and own a house and pets together. I was married for more than a decade. So getting married again was never very important to me. However, he's never been married, although he is generally positive about marriage as an idea, and I assume he would probably eventually want to get married. If he didn't, I was okay with that. Fast forward seven years, and we're getting older, mid-40s, had some health scares, and being married started to feel more important to me. For various reasons, I wanted him to propose. We talked about it nine months ago, and he reiterated that he was committed to me on board with getting married and that he would think of something romantic. In the intervening months, we've talked about the fact that we still weren't engaged and it emerged that, quote, something was holding him back, but he couldn't figure out what. This then became the bigger problem. I wasn't in a hurry to get married, but if it turns out that, quote, something is that he doesn't want to spend his life with me, I'm damn sure in a hurry to find that out. (laughs) I've been through lots of therapy and recognize that I can't control his behavior. When we first talked about this, I decided to give him a year to figure it out, i.e. another three months from now. However, he just finally started therapy and seems to be making progress. I'm having trouble figuring out whether I push out my deadline, given that there's no practical reason we need to get married soon. If I do, how do I manage the nagging doubts that I'm just a dupe who's letting him string me along until it's convenient for him to dump me? and the resentment and erosion of trust that these feelings generate. I have a lot of anxiety in this about this from past relationships, and I'm really having trouble managing these feelings, even if it only ends up being for the next three months. <sighs> yeah. It's That's so hard, too, because it's like you think, oh, all right, I'm, I got to just like make a call here. And, you know, a year ago, deciding giving him a year seemed like, well, that's that's a long time. That should be plenty. And here you are getting closer to the end of that. And you don't want to lose him. You don't you don't want to make that call, especially if, oh, he's so close to figuring it out. He's making progress in therapy. And yeah, you don't know, like maybe his his way of processing these things is just a lot slower than yours and yet you could extend that indefinitely you know there could always be glimmers of like 
this is this is about to turn a corner. I'm just going to give it a little more time. <laughs> I've, I've been there. I don't, but having been there, I wouldn't say I'm like, you know, it's not going to happen, lady. You know, give up now. That's that's not where where I I mean I I truly believe that it's really about what's your tolerance level and how much can you trust a process that is very unknown to you with outcomes that you can't predict really yeah. Are you still thinking about that, Lily, or do you want me to... No, go on. Because <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to jump in. You were like, I could see you processing, you know, and thinking about what was going yeah. on. L- listeners can't see me processing. <laughs> but I can, and I can reflect <laughs> that back. Thank I don't know. I, I guess I'm thinking about it on three different levels. Um, oh, okay. breaking it Breaking it down. Yeah, that's helpful. There's the relationship. There's marriage. And there's the proposal. Right, right, right. There's, right, there's right. three different, three different, li- you know, levels of this, and I think you know before I tackle the oh three months the piece, it's you know where are you guys actually in your relationship? I can't tell from the question. Yeah, right. Yeah. I'm hearing that, you know, however long ago it was that um, the person who wrote the the question, you know, started to realize it. Sounds sounds like you guys had actually been in a relationship for a while when you started to realize oh, I think marriage is important to me. Yeah, and I think she they, said seven years. Seven years, that's a good long chunk of time and that there were some health scares and such. Like, I'm I'm truly curious that, you know, what's happened in the last seven months um, or however many months it was. Nine, nine, nine months. Think, yeah, yeah. Um, nine months that, you know, has your relationship evolved since you guys started having that conversation? Mm. Um, you know, are you feeling closer? Are you feeling more distant? What's going on? Um, because I think the idea of marriage means different things to different people. And, mm. you know, I'm hearing, well, there was a health scare or age or whatever. I'm curious what, you know, you know obviously we can't have them listen, you know, the answer right now, but I am curious, what does marriage mean to the person who wrote the question? And what does the concept of marriage mean to her boyfriend who is now in therapy finally and, and figuring that out because it means different things? Yeah. Um, a personal anecdote, few years ago I had some friends um, younger friends who all literally there were like four or five of them couples who all kind of went through this thing where one person wanted to get married and the other person was like I don't think you're the right and not 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 to generalize just coincidentally most of the it was the women wanted to get married at some point and the guys were like well I don't know you're great but there's just something missing or something like that right and the funny thing is most of I'm not Dear listener, do not do this on purpose, but a lot of them actually broke up. And then within months to, you know, however long a year or whatever, you know, the the, the person who had doubts came back and said, oops, I was wrong. <laughs> and I don't think that that's, don't, don't, no. don't take this as a strategy. <laughs> but I think what ends up happening is that during that period apart, we start to examine what our ideas are about marriage and like mm-hmm. who this idealized person has to be in order to you know, spend a lifetime with them and to start to break that down and realize, oh, how much of that is, you know, hooked up in, uh, hung up in fantasy or hung mm-hmm. up in projection and going like, 
well, maybe I have to make it work with an actual human being with all their flaws and foibles. So that's that's one and two. The last one would be around the actual engagement and what our hopes and expectations are. Oftentimes, I think those of us who have big hopes and expectations around a big romantic, you know, like, you know, will you marry me? Um, it's as if it's supposed to prove something. It's to reassure us that this person somehow either knows us by picking the right ring or um, cares enough to do a big surprise, you know, how much of that also is is you know just hopes for reassurance mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. hopes for some signal that this is going to be okay and that wraps us right back around to my first point which is where is your relationship actually at why is it that you're looking for this you know the, the these markers it's not that they're not important it's that how do you start to find those markers without it having to be hung up on a bunch of fantasies mm. about what either the engagement has to be or what the marriage has to be, right? Mm-hmm, how, mm-hmm. If it is security, how do you guys start to have that conversation around what makes you feel safe in the relationship for the long haul? Yeah. Right. Yeah, I mean, so that's my mouthful. Yeah, no, that's great. I, I agree. And I, I think that um, it's... <clears throat> I think that it's um it's interesting because you mentioned the thing of like, oh, something's missing and hearing that more from men giving a really vague something's missing. Whereas, and they're honest in that. They're not like, yeah, lying. they're they're honest, but it's still and I've I've been the recipient of that. And yeah. it's it's interesting. It's it's not and sometimes it is that something isn't a good fit about the relationship though. <laughs> I've found that I've never I've always been able to articulate what I didn't like (laughs) (laughs) and what I did like, you know, Mm -hmm. like, so it's just, it's interesting to notice Mm -hmm. that, that pattern. Um, And, and is that something missing some kind of fantasy of what passion or, you know, excitement is or, you know, whatever. Yeah, it can be, but it's also those of us who are on the preoccupied side of the attachment spectrum usually have a lot more words for our feelings, right? And sometimes... That is very true. Yeah, as opposed to the more avoidant side. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I I would say that, you know, it could be really useful to go to couples counseling to talk, mm. to talk more about, you know, these questions mm-hmm. you're asking about what does marriage mean to hear in, in a kind of safe, like, structured space hear each other speak Mm. about your hopes and dreams and worries and Mm -hmm. and all of that um yeah i mean and time time limits are really hard because it's yeah it's it's reasonable to say i set this time limit and that is my boundary and i'm gonna hold to it because it makes me more sane and it's also reasonable to be like, well, I didn't know when I set that time limit what I would feel like now, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. It's like people are going to take different approaches with that. I'm not a big it's like I'm not a big fan of ultimatums because which it doesn't sound like having a time limit's exactly an ultimatum. That's some of it's for yourself. Like, what is my limit? And I think sometimes we might set arbitrary time limitations because, well, a couple really it's fear. Yeah, we're afraid that we're not being respected or we're afraid that we are not taking care of our own needs well enough. And Mm -hmm. so a time limit's fine. But I think if we can really touch into moment by moment what we're actually wanting and needing in the moment in ourselves, like the closer we get to really knowing ourselves that way, the more flexible we can be. Right. I think Brene Brown's the one who's talked about. 
you know, those who, those of us who have, you know, really clear inner boundaries can be more flexible. Brene, I'm sorry if I'm paraphrasing you wrong. Um, no, that sounds yeah, right. Yeah. That sounds right. And so, like, you know, when we said, I, I definitely know I've, I've set those time limits before in my life. And it's usually Same. when I'm scared because I'm confused about what the different parts of me want. Yes. And I don't trust, I don't trust myself yeah. to know. And I, and I, and it's fair for me to not trust myself to know when to <laughs> let something go because I'm really bad at it. Um, and it's, yeah, I mean, I've really, I've, I've been there with the waiting mm-hmm. and waiting and waiting and with the person who kept telling me that they were working on it and on their way towards, you know, mm-hmm. and every time I would actually feel very clear in myself Mm -hmm. that I'd reached my limit and that this clearly wasn't like a good fit um the other person would be like whoa wait wait, hold on hold on Mm. and I'm just like and then I would like be like oh okay and I'd get really Mm -hmm. confused again and I'd wait more and eventually they they said okay now after like two years of you know trying to figure this out I'm ready (laughs) and then and they made that choice and then like very quickly, very shortly after. Uh, so the person moved in with me mm-hmm. after waiting and waiting and waiting for them mm-hmm. to do that. And then two weeks after they moved in, they left me. Mm. And after years of deliberating about it. Mm. And that was that was really traumatizing and sobering and. And all of that, there's this part that's so hard, again, back to like, you don't have control over anyone else. Mm-hmm. You being in a relationship and the kind of trust it requires in the other person to be doing their own work mm-hmm. and to be understanding themselves as well as they possibly can. Yeah. And you don't get to know, like y- the only way you can know is through a kind of leap of faith and intuition and hope Mm -hmm. and that's okay we do it all the time because it's the only thing we can do and whatever's holding him back you know maybe similar fears but his way of coping with that may be to kind of avoid the commitment and your way of coping with that is to want to lock it down and I, I don't say lock it down in a like you're being like a ball and chain or anything like you want to have the reassurance that comes with the security, the, 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 yeah, the formal arrangement. And, and some of it sounds like it was originally motivated by more practical things like health scares and all of that. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of benefit, like there's mer- benefits to being formally married. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, but yeah. So how do you deal with these feelings? That's what the the writer's asking is how do I deal with these feelings even for the next few months? Yeah. Even if they do follow through on their time limit. Yeah. And this person is in therapy. That's really, that's good. Having a lot of support. I imagine it's like a lot of these feelings we're all coping with. It's like, how do you do that combination of giving yourself space to feel the feelings Mm -hmm. and then doing things that maybe are distractions that feel good and that make it not like the focus of everything a hundred percent of the time. Mm, Like are there things where you can take breaks from it? Yeah. And the two thoughts that come up for me are, 
if indeed, you know, this time limit is about fear, right? I also imagine, and I don't know if you talk much with your listeners about the inner critic. I love working that stuff. I have talked about it because I, I do. <laughs> I work with that a lot in my practice. Yeah. Um, I have talked about that. I mean, those are the two that come up for me, you know, therapeutically mm-hmm. thinking is that how do we get really real with our fear, right? Yeah. Like that, you know, all, but also really real with our inner critic because often it will be, I'm afraid that I will have wasted time. Yeah. I'm afraid that my partner will reject me. I'm afraid, you know, on and on and on, right? Yeah, I mean, I'm hearing something about like erosion of trust, about being duped. Right. You know? And like, how do we start to really work with our own inner critic? Because if at the end of this timeline, right, eight years in, if indeed the person decides that they don't want to either marriage or, or to marry you, as hard as that is, were you really duped? Or were you in an actual live relationship where you were working along the way and actually living in that relationship and that you all came to a place where you decided that, that you know, that you didn't want the same things. And yeah. as hard as that is, you know, there are definitely people who have been duped because there's definitely people out there who may maliciously be duping people. But is that truly who you were with or yeah. who you are with? Yeah. Or is it that your inner critic wants to kick you? over and over again for doing something vulnerable like being in relationship yeah wanting something asking for it and having to sit with not knowing if you're going to be able to get that from the other person and them not knowing if they're going to be able to give that to you it's like the most vulnerable thing ever it it actually is torturously vulnerable Mm. torturously (laughs) (laughs) I am here as your agent of positivity. <laughs> um, but, but, but yeah, it is. It's like want, wanting things and needing things from other people is the most vulnerable experience as a human being. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty much unavoidable. But people, again, deal with it by either being anxiously preoccupied with that mm-hmm. or by avoiding it by trying to pretend that they can get away with not Mm. needing or wanting things from other people. Mm -hmm. And on both ends of the spectrum, you're still kind of preoccupied with that. You're anxious about it, right? It's it's literally anxious, preoccupied, anxious, avoidant. Exactly. Same anxiety, different reactions. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I just mostly like reading this question. I'm just, I'm just like immediately pulled into those feelings. Yeah. Because I I understand I understand them in so many ways, and I think I think most people have experienced that in some way. And that question of like, how do you know? The answer is you don't. You don't know, and you do a lot of self inquiry and listening to yourself, and at some point or at various points over and over again, you're doing that cost benefit analysis. And I really like that you suggested couples therapy. I know, you know, not everybody has the time in or money to do yeah. that, but if it's possible really to like work on your relationship from that front, th- you know, again, as a couples therapist, my job is not to squish you guys together. My job is to help you each get really clear on what you want yeah, and either work towards it or work towards moving away from it. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, and it's, you know, m- more people should go, at, <laughs> should try it. At least, you know, even like if, you know, if you're in a really, if you feel like your relationship's in a fine place, but maybe there's like one or two little things that you get hung up on, 
it's just really good for um, strengthening your relationship and your understanding of each other. And there's things that the therapists know how to do that really help deepen the connection and the understanding with each other. Um, Premarital counseling, really good idea. Mm -hmm. I can't tell you how many people I've come across in my life where I'm like, wait, you didn't talk about that before you got married? (laughs) Uh Wait, you didn't have any plan for like what you were going to do about finances or about children Mm -hmm. or like you Mm -hmm. just got married and hoped you were on the same page or like that, you know, like things like that. I mean, and I know a lot of people have been living together and like in a very domestic long-term relationship before they even get married nowadays, but it doesn't mean that it doesn't change things. Yeah. And also words, right? You can live together a long time, but you might not ever talk about stuff. Yeah. And if, if maybe pre-marriage you kept everything separate but as married as a married couple you combine certain financial things or it's or you know things like your will or you know health stuff like what these are conversations that people need to have about like well what happens if this happens do we you know just not like obsessively but like having some amount of like we're building a life together what's what does that look like how do we do this collaboratively and what do we what do we both need and want and what's the plan for like these big things like family finances uh health and death you know all of that like those those big key categories um monogamy you know all non-monogamy those monogamy or non-monogamy and like mm-hmm. the spectrum in between of what that is like mm-hmm. what do you and and even if you think you're really on the same page about everything pre-marriage and you're basically married in, in the way you live your lives together, getting really clear about what what is different about marriage for you and what what does it mean? Um, we we shouldn't assume. We shouldn't assume. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I, I just yeah, I want to just extend a lot of. um love and hugs to this person (laughs) because it's just hard not knowing yeah and having to sit with that and all the fear that comes along with it oh yeah so much empathy to that yeah right oh yeah i hope i hope we were helpful (laughs) at the very least in in the empathy (laughs) (laughs) um and and i hope it works out because it seems like you've been together a really long time and and have been committed and that there are probably some really amazing things about your relationship. And I hope that both of you, um, I hope it works out because that's really cool when it does. As we discussed earlier, it is like impossible to find people in the world. <laughs> It feels like it. I don't. Uh-huh. I don't want to discourage this person <laughs> if, like, they do end up becoming single again. Like, you'll be fine. But mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, when people find each other, it's like magical. And at the same time, that's not a good reason to stay in a bad relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. All right. I could just ramble about that um, incoherently for a while longer. Let's listen to a song. Yay! I was um, so. I have family in El Paso, and so this weekend was like the, it was the time when I'm like, oh, fuck, like, 
I got to send that message to see if people are okay to make sure they weren't anywhere near that Walmart. And, um, yeah, that was really hard. It, everyone was fine. Um, I mean, they're not fine emotionally, obviously, like this was horrendous. And my family is, you know, half Mexican, the family that's there and their children are Mexican. Like, you know, like it's, it's awful. Um, and, and actually my aunt and uncle, uh, who are kind of the ones who have lived there the longest 30 years and they had their children there and raised them there. And now my, my grandma and uncle, other uncle ended up moving out there to be closer and get help with medical stuff. And, um, they met in Mexico city when my aunt was, she's a professional cellist. And I think when she was in college and she was, she was, she lived there for a bit and was playing cello in a symphony. And he, um, uh, so that's my aunt Claudia. And, uh, she met my now uncle Jose Luis, who's Mexican and he became a doctor and they ended up choosing to live in El Paso because he couldn't, he couldn't get licensed in the United States as a doctor. There were so many roadblocks to that. And so he continued to work in Juarez as a doctor for his whole career and commuted across the border every day from El Paso. And they raised their kids in El Paso and they went to, you know, and it's just interesting even like the different experiences that my two cousins had because one of them had lighter skin than the other growing up. So like that really impacted their experiences. Um, but yeah, so my aunt was taught chel- uh, taught uh, orchestra in all the elementary schools in town and was a cellist in the local orchestras in El Paso and in um, New Mexico, Las Cruces. Is it Las Cruces, New Mexico? That's like right next to El Paso, whatever it was. Um, and... So, yeah, that's kind of like this is like a part of my family. And so I was just thinking a lot about them over the weekend and and feeling a lot about that. And so I decided to find some music from like local bands in that area. And so this is a band that's actually um, a band from Juarez, but they also play in El Paso a lot because they're their sister cities. So this is a uh, Dolce Mall by the Hamanas. I think that's how you pronounce it. CH. Chamanas or Hamanas. And uh, Rocio, if you're listening, she is a Spanish teacher. She should correct me nicely <laughs> or not, whatever. Um, yeah, here we go. Dolce Mall. You're listening to Radical Advice on BFF.fm.
sé si te amé mucho, no sé si te amé poco, pero sí sé que nunca volveré a amar así. Te digo adiós, y acaso con esta despedida, mi más hermoso sueño muere dentro de mí. to Radical Advice on BFF.FM Best Frequencies Forever that was Dulce Mal by the Jamanas well I didn't I, I still don't know if I'm pronouncing that right um, which is a band from uh, from Juarez that is part of the Juarez El Paso music scene um, and playing that in honor of uh, the victims of the horrendous mass shooting over the weekend and my family who lives there, who are Mexican and American and Jewish. Um, so my guest here today is Lily Sun. Hello. We're going to talk a little bit more about self-care and kind of managing all the different emotions and around all of this. But um, just a reminder that BFF.FM is a community radio station that is kept together and going by uh, magnificent volunteers as well as um, contributions from from listeners. So if you want to be part of that, if you've benefited from listening to the station or to the show, highly recommend uh, going to bff.fm slash donate and becoming a bestie by supporting us uh, at $10 a month or more. And that will uh, get you some cool perks. We, we've we always got great events going on, uh, concert ticket giveaways, all kinds of things. And we're just doing, doing a lot here to um, support the local music scene, to be a, a great alternative to commercial radio. Um, so yeah, go to bff.fm slash donate. And you can also make a one-time donation if that suits you better. Lily. Yes. All right. So we were talking a bit during the song about our numbing capacity. Mm, yeah. yeah. And that you were saying that, that you find yourself kind of numbing or ignoring a lot of the tough stuff. Well, yeah, it's interesting, right? Because you were talking about how, if I'm hearing you right, like mm-hmm. your strategies are, are too numb. Mm-hmm. And if anything, over over the last couple of years, I felt myself feeling numb and trying to go in the other direction. Um, I'm more of an extrovert in terms of all that. So like, like with just the inundation of like day after day after day, there's all this awful news that comes up. And I think I'm numbed out by that because, you know, there's a sense that we come back to this idea, like of the sense of helplessness. So yeah. my coping strategies actually are ways to try to feel more alive. Yeah. Right. And, um, my self-care for me will often be 
either ways where I engage my body, um, dancing, massage, or I engage people. Mm. Like I actually go out and towards the world to sort of socialize. And I get it. I have a lot of privilege in being able to sort of like hide in this bubble and do that Mm -hmm. to a certain extent. Um, But I also recognize that means I'm not doing as much as I might be able to in order to try to work on the underlying causes, Hmm. right? Like we're talking about in terms of white supremacy or in terms of, you know, issues around that. And it is always also, I think I mentioned like, you know, before we started the show that like, it's also challenging as a person of color to try to deal with the concepts of white supremacy, especially here where I am in the Bay area bubble around it. So we could talk about it a lot, but how do we actually enact change? Yeah. Question mark, question mark. Right. I mean, do you feel for you personally, like there's an extra element of needed self care around your own, like the fact that people of color and you are a person of color mm-hmm. are, are targeted by this. Yeah. I mean, like that's gotta yeah. be traumatizing. Yeah. And you know, on it, there are also different kinds of persons of color, right? Like in terms of that, like I, I'm, I'm Asian, right? I'm Taiwanese American. Mm-hmm. We are not one of the highly targeted groups currently, but there's, I can feel sort of the overflow, right? Yeah, of, yeah. of, of that. And I can only imagine what it's like. Well, I don't even have to imagine. I can read what it's like and I can hear what it's like from friends and acquaintances and colleagues who are actually people of color in the ethnic groups that have been targeted in the last few years, especially, or even historically, um, and trying to support them with what privilege I do have. Yeah. 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 And, and yet, yes, there is also a a definite layer where being a Brown person, uh, means that there is a whole different layer of nervousness and, um, vigilance. I wouldn't even call it hypervigilance because it's appropriate vigilance in this day Mm -hmm. and age. Um, that requires a whole nother level of care of, I think that's why I go towards like engagement where I'm trying to feel safe by connecting to community and knowing that I'm connected to friends. Yeah. Um, but you know, it can definitely be overwhelming in that way. Totally. Well, and this point you're making about whether the numbing is just happening and you're trying to do things to help get out of that numbing place or the overwhelm is happening and you're trying to do things to numb. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I experienced both. Yeah. And like, like, so last weekend with Gilroy, I was just numb. Mm. Eventually I started to feel a little, little bit more. And that's like so close to here too. But like, I just, I just couldn't register it. And then this weekend I was so just like in it, like mm-hmm. really in it, but also still doing a lot of stuff to try to numb. But it was it was a weird combo of numbing. Like when you're just staring at Twitter and constantly looking at Twitter over and over yeah. and over again, it's this weird combination of keeping the emotions really, really like edgy and on the surface and numbing at the same time. Yeah. It's like a it's a and it's not it's not super. Well, I mean, I don't want to say that a defense mechanism isn't useful, like it's clearly trying to serve a purpose. I'm not. But it doesn't feel supportive. And yeah. and so figuring out like what what that looks like, I think some of it is because of the helplessness and powerlessness. It's like I was like, it's like you're drowning and you're just you start ex, ex, like expending a lot of energy just flailing around in the mm-hmm. water. Like that's that's what it was like. Was yeah. pan- it was panic. It was panic. It was panic and flailing around in the water while you're drowning. Yeah. And I think 
so speaking of water, yesterday during my shower, <laughs> as showers are great for getting you off of Twitter and making you stop watching whatever show you're watching to like also not feel stuff. Um, there's not those distractions in there. I, I, I pr- usually don't listen to anything while I'm in the shower, even though I have like a speaker. Um, I, I was able to suddenly like pause and I cried and I like I was able to have more emotional like connection to myself and get out of the panic mode and I realized at the end there was this clarity which was I need to delete Twitter from my phone Mm -hmm. (laughs) which it took till today to do Mm -hmm. even though I was so clear when I was in the shower I immediately (laughs) got back on Twitter when I got out and was Mm -hmm. like oh but this one more thing oh Mm -hmm. one more thing and I just didn't deal with it till this morning um And then the other piece of clarity was like in terms of the helplessness was, yeah, there's not there's nothing I can do that's going to feel like enough. That's true. There's nothing I can do that's going to prevent the next mass shooting. These are happening uh, more than once a week now. Like we are at. I don't know. We're halfway just a little over halfway into the year. and There's already been 250 like shootings in this country and so I'm not going to prevent the next one and it's that's terrifying and awful but there are organizations that are making a difference that are pushing things towards to like to a better place and are fighting really hard and so there's um there's every town which is an organization that's uh a gun safety, gun regulation organization. And connected to that is Moms Demand Action. So I started giving, um, I've set up a monthly donation to Moms Demand Action. And that's that's a really powerful organization. My friend actually was telling me this morning that they, they actually raised, I think they like out, raised money they, they they raised more money than the nra in a recent like wow. election and and made i'm trying to see where she said that um yeah it's it's pretty it's it's pretty amazing they're a very powerful group and so and you know and they're working on trying to get bills signed into law that are like not the full-blown thing that maybe we want but it's moving things again in the right direction like background checks all of that and and dispelling a lot of the myths about mental health and all of those things so I think that that felt really important it's like it's kind of like when you're really overwhelmed and you need to do a to-do list um I I needed to get like like find small manageable goals around this so I saw somebody tweet something because, because Twitter is useful sometimes. I saw someone tweet something like if you're feeling really overwhelmed and like you can't do anything and, and so then you do nothing like her suggestion was make a list of five things that you can do. Do one of them today and do one of the other ones this week. Mm. And so things that we can do that are that are fairly easy and quick set up a recurring donation with one of these organizations. I did it in like two seconds from my phone 
it does it through oh I think it did it through Apple Pay or whatever so I don't have to like even pull out my credit card you could also do it through PayPal it was super easy and I I don't have a lot of money I'm money going all over the place to tons of different organizations because oh my god these are desperate times and so I only did like $5 a month. I wish I could do more and maybe I will up it at some point. But like, again, making this manageable. Um, and then the other thing is sending, you know, just continuing to send letters and making calls. And I, you know, I just I use ResistBot, which makes it really easy for me to contact my representatives and continually remind them and it's about the volume that they get on on the issue so you don't have to like have it worded beautifully it doesn't even have to be spelled right just like can you tell us a little bit about resist yeah so the way resist spot works and I've, I've talked about it on here but again like not everybody listens every week um so it's super easy uh i have it in my phone I'm just looking up the number. So the number is uh, five zero four zero nine, and you text you text the word resist to five zero four zero nine, and it responds uh, by asking how it can help you. And it basically, if you haven't used it before, it'll look up your information to find out who your representatives are. Once it's done that for the first time, it like is done. They I'm have, literally writing all this down. Yeah. <laughs> Great. And it walks you through, though. It's super easy. It walks you through the process. And it's like, all right, you know, you choose whether it's going to your governor, whether it's going to the House or to Congress or both. Um, and you write your message to your representatives or whoever you're writing it to. So in this case, I could be writing to Nancy Pelosi and... Kamala Harris and who's the other the third person the other rep who gets oh and um ugh, what's her name uh anyway <laughs> I wish I could help the other one the other one uh and it, it's it'll send them this message so so you write you you know I might write like I really I urge you to continue to work hard on you know passing gun legislation this you know I might I might share something personal about how it's affecting me blah 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 or just you know this is horrific blah 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 you know you could say anything you could make it really detailed and add a bunch of information that they they might already have or you could just keep it short and be like I am appalled that this is going on this shouldn't be happening in this country please keep working on this keep fighting hard this isn't okay and the idea, again, is that they're getting a volume of messages that are all asking them for the same thing, not so much the content being perfect. Um, and then ResistBot will be like, OK, was that all? Do you want to edit anything or is it OK to send it as is? And it then it generates an email or fax or whatever, and it, and it sends it and it'll send you a copy. The other easy way to do it is to to DM ResistBot on Twitter and like do the same process in the DMs on Twitter and say resist. And when I do it through that, then it will also tweet. If if I want it to, it'll tweet it as an open letter. And if I want it to, uh, it may select it as a as one that could go to, to like a letter to the editor for a local newspaper or something. But you don't have to do those things. So anyway, it's very quick, um, depending on how much you want to write. And it. You know, you don't have to, like, pick up the phone and deal with, like, 
it being busy all the time or whatever. I'm literally texting right now. Good. Yeah. Awesome. You're texting ResistBot right now? I am. Why not? Live on the air. Yeah. I'm just like, maybe ResistBot will be my boyfriend, you know? Like, we have good chemistry. I, he asks me questions about myself and I answer and he doesn't like ask me to do anything. He just supports me in what I want. So what I do? No, no, not text. Resist. <laughs> she typed text. <laughs> I'm like, wait, you said text them. Okay. Text. text five zero them. four zero nine. Yeah. Five zero four zero nine. Text resist. Done. Yeah. So that's a thing. Um, there, you know, you can also, you could also call and send letters to like representatives outside of here. I mean, that's the thing that can feel hard is we live in an area where like our, even though our representatives might be falling short on making these things happen and they disappoint me in all kinds of ways. I mean, they, they already agree, you know, like the things that I'm most outraged and upset about, they already agree with me on. We live in an area where our representatives get Thankfully. that. Yeah. But the downside <laughs> of that is that I don't feel like I can have as much impact on the bigger conversation because the people who are the problem and like really blocking this change are in other areas. And so if you live in a state or a jurisdiction or whatever, that's more conservative. I think that really that's, it's really important to speak up um, and organize. And yeah, I have a harder time feeling as motivated here. Like, how am I going to, how can I impact those other areas, yeah. you know? But I, I think a lot of these organizations, too, like, will have on their websites lists of things you can do to get involved that range from a one-minute letter or phone call to, you know, something much more involved, like showing up yeah. in Washington, D.C. You know, like, this yeah. is, like, a big range of, of ways to be involved. Yeah, and I love that you're talking about this because I think, you know, earlier we were talking about how self-care can look a lot of different ways because you can't just always be on or always be numb. Yeah. And so, like, it's sort of like swimming for the long haul, right? You know, you know, engage, much like dating, engaging and then taking breaks and engaging and taking breaks so that you can actually do this for the long haul and not burn out. Right. Fatigue around this is real. Yeah. And we have to keep feeling it, though. Yeah. We have to be outraged. We have to be sad or we won't care. Yeah. Like uh, John yeah. Oliver in the opening to his show on Sunday night, like kind of they did a sort of addendum to the show mm -hmm. to address the shootings. And like that's, you know, that was the thing he was. I was like sitting there with tears streaming down my face mm -hmm. as he's like, you know, it feels terrible, but like you have to keep we we have to resist the 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 numbing because yeah. nothing will change if if we don't and it and it's really hard on our nervous systems to yeah. stay upset all the time. Yeah. So, but I find that when I actually feel the grief, yeah, versus the like franticness, yeah, I feel better, and yeah. I can start to come to more clear places about what I would want to do yeah. about it. It's interesting, right? Because right now, as you were talking, it kind of inspired me to think about um, learning from communities who've been oppressed for a long time. Uh-huh. Yes. Right? That, that there are ways that we have to stay engaged in our 
you know, grief and our, you know, big five primary feelings, our anger, Mm -hmm. our sadness, our fear and our disgust around all this and our joy, right? Like we need to fuel this somehow because the thing about, about, you know, the other four that are more unpleasant feeling, they run out after a while because our systems cannot handle just being in that in, in perpetuity. Yeah. So I love this idea that you're talking about, like staying engaged in the grief and also staying engaged in your aliveness, right? In, in like... So I, I, I do blues dancing as, as you know, one of my hobbies. Right. And when you think about the blues, that's part of it is like they are singing their grief and they're singing their joy. Right. And there's something about, you know, oppressed communities that have learned how to deal with this over the long haul because they don't have a choice. Yeah. And so how do we, you know, not feel guilt Mm-hmm. about living our lives and still doing things like dating and showering and you know and and doing a radio show well again shower yeah. is very productive sometimes <laughs> that's what i'm saying but also not yeah. not using those to like you said not using those just to numb out like using them to rejuice to yeah. actually um find resource and then coming back out so that we can do things even if it's it sounds as simple as like i'll just test you know i'll text this resist bot or i'll you know, a recurring donation that all of those cost spoons. Yeah. Right. So like we have to like stay in order to stay engaged in all of those pieces. We have to stay stay engaged in our, in our own full, fully lived lives as much as possible. Yeah. I mean, that that also made me just think of another actionable item. People can check in with the people in their lives about how they're doing as a way to yeah. like resist, you know, and and. And then the other pieces, yeah, do you, have you created spaces in your life where you can feel this? Yeah. Because it is going to help to give yourself space to feel it. Yeah. And kind of, and is there, you know, what, what do you have to do to do that? Because it, of course you're numbing out. Of course, of course you want to just check out or like you get overwhelmed. You just want to live your life, but it's it's happening. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. so like, it, you know, if, if, if somebody, you know, dies, like somebody you're close to dies and it, it it's going to have an impact on you. It's unfortunate. It's inconvenient, but it's going to have an impact on you. And of course you might not want to feel it, but the only way out is through yeah. kind of thing, you know, I'm curious. I know you're usually the one to ask all the questions. Am I allowed to ask questions? Yeah. <laughs> So it's interesting, right? I'm curious what it might be like as a white ally to be dealing with white supremacy and all the complex feelings that come up around that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's... It's like, it's all... I mean, of course, there's guilt and shame, but, like, there's... There's a lot of anger. Mm. And for, for me... There's a lot mm-hmm. of anger that I was indoctrinated into this system mm. and that I've and that I was taught that I was somehow special or deserving and I'm having to rework all of that. I'm pissed off that so many people have been hurt so I could be more comfortable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I could only imagine, right? I would be so fucking pissed off. <laughs> I'd be like, what the fuck, my people, right? Like, I would yeah. really be really, yeah. really fucking pissed off. Yeah, that's how I feel. I mean, I'm raging about white people on Twitter all the time. I mean, it's, I mean, I, and like, and 
response you know there's responsibility in it too it's not mm-hmm. like i can just be angry at other white people like i'm yeah. i've benefited and and so and i still have a lot to undo internally so tony morrison died oh, um, no. and she, yeah and she she meant her books have meant so much to me in my life um i want to reread some of them because it's been a while but i think I think on Twitter I had said I started at 16, but I realized I think I read um, some Beloved. of her books actually. Oh, I read Beloved when I was 16. I think some of her other ones like Jazz and The mm. Bluest Eye. I think I actually read in middle school. Wow. Yeah. I think I read like somewhere in between middle school and college. Mm. Um, and one of the things I was reflecting on is that her while while at the time that I read her work, I still was detached from understanding how this stuff is playing out in present day or internally inside of me. It was a big part of understanding anything about the black experience or the slave experience or Jim Crow, you know, era experience and building empathy around that. And I, I it, it was a part of dismantling white supremacy inside of me it wasn't yeah. like it was just me I mean I stole <laughs> plenty of it and it's an ongoing thing mm-hmm. but it just made me think about how important it is to read black authors mm-hmm. you know and, and and other authors of color and mm-hmm. authors of other you know and uh, who are different from you in all kinds of ways mm-hmm. um but to dismantle white supremacy mm-hmm. and to dismantle patriarchy i had to stop only reading male authors yeah. i was i was reading all the like intellectual philosophical deep troubled male authors that my boyfriends liked <laughs> in my 20s <laughs> yeah. you know and and it's not that i need to never i, I got something out of those sure. books but like i wasn't reading women i wasn't reading women of color like at a certain point and I need to engage with that material. And if reading's not your thing, that's fine. There's so many podcasts. There's so many, you know, audiobooks, movies, Mm -hmm. TV shows, but like articles that are written, people you could follow on social media who share their experience and their thoughts. And it's and and it's not demanding of them to teach you because, you know, they're this is something that's already publicly available. Mm Mm-hmm. But it yeah. it challenges your internal narrative, oh, yeah. your experience of the world. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. so yeah. As a white ally, I'm today especially. I'm thinking about trying to engage more and more. You know, and that's an ongoing work. But oh. yeah. thank you for answering that so thoroughly and deeply. Right? Like, well, thanks thanks for asking. <laughs> I mean, I don't I don't know. Like, I don't I don't want like. I'm wary of like, you know, trying to be like, this is what a good ally does or like, because I disengage in all kinds of ways. But like, yeah, I think it was a good question because I think plenty of the listeners are white. Yeah. You know, and I, I, you know, part of the reason I was curious about that is I think I imagine a lot of allies of all sorts of colors, but especially white allies might feel a lot of guilt. Uh-huh. And I always like to say, hey, guilt doesn't really do the rest of us any good, right? Well, it's interesting. I think it's what you do with the guilt, exactly. right? The like, feeling in and of itself is yeah. just, you know, it's not, not good for you. It doesn't help me a lot. I um, mean, to me, I don't think it's a bad, it's bad it, no, to yeah. have it. Like, because it does guilt, you know, if it's like paralyzing, like shame, right. but like guilt, right. 
tells us something yeah that like something's wrong yeah and that we want to remedy something yeah. But I, yeah, I've, I've worked with people in my practice who are activists, who are are white and like the burnout that comes with that and kind of unpacking, like you can still do the work and be a really good, useful ally without feeling devastated all the time and without hate, like feeling shame all the time. Yes. Because it's not our fault that we were born, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and that we exist in this system. Yeah. But yeah, we we need to be responsible to do what we can to to challenge it and dismantle it. Yeah. Um, and I what agree. that looks like is going to be different for different people. But yeah. Um, yeah. But I love it that you were talking about like really like reading and self-education, right? Because those are the seeds of compassion. Those are the seeds of connection. Yeah. Yeah. Just understanding people's stories um yeah i think we should listen to a song great and then come back and i'm going to ask you a few more other kinds of questions i think we might have time for one more listener question awesome um so i want to play a song from a classic uh uh dayton ohio band cool i didn't realize they were from dayton ohio but this is um the breeders and this is the song bang on from sometime in the 90s i didn't look up when this album actually came out the album is mountain battles so the breeders with bang on you're listening to radical advice on bff.fm That was the breeders with bang on. That was a great. That was a great uh, ballad for the single for the single women in this room. <laughs> I have no one, and no one has me. <laughs> I think that's what she was singing. 
Uh, you're listening to Radical Advice on BFF.fm. Joining me here in the studio is the magnificent uh, psychotherapist, Lily Sun. Hello. You should find her uh, website, lilysunmft.com. And it's Lily spelled correctly, L-I-L-Y. <laughs> the best way to spell it. The right way to spell it. Um, and today we are still trying to solve if two Lilies makes a <clears throat> super Lily. But for now, let's let's talk about somebody uh, sent in. Oh, my God. Oh, 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 God. I don't know if we have. T- okay. This is such a good one. We should talk about it. Okay. It's so good. Oh, all right. <laughs> a part of me is like, is this even real? <laughs> but I, fr- I forgot that I already was like, oh, I really want to do this one with Lily. So hopefully we let's have time it. to do it. it. Okay. <sighs> I started seeing an older woman, 20 years older about two months ago, and it's been really great. She's a brilliant professor, and I really enjoy her company. She invited me over for dinner a few nights ago, and I was stopped suddenly when I saw a photo of my therapist on her wall. (laughs) And then I saw a couple more. I think this is a family member of my therapist, and I have no idea how to approach it with the woman I'm dating or my therapist. I'd rather give up dating the woman than change my therapist, to be honest. (laughs) I'd like to keep them both. I'm wrestling with have with uh, the real possibility I had sex with my therapist's mom, and I'm also kind of into it, which is why I haven't. <laughs> which is why I haven't ended this. Can you answer this from your perspective? It might be helpful mm. for me to know how it would feel for you to have a client in a relationship with a family member. Is this an absolute therapy deal breaker? What if it's a distant relative? <laughs> this has not happened to me yet no meaning god <clears throat> How, what are your thoughts damn okay okay like my therapy brain is kind of like trying to do the therapy math around this yeah ther- therapy math mm-hmm. it's therapy math right <laughs> um <sighs> so like is the person like are they imagining that it's the mom or do they know they that don't it's, know they're like mm. is it the mom is it a distant, distant relative? relative it sounds like age-wise it lines up that they're able to have the mom fantasy which they are getting off on yeah, yeah. Mm. like whoa what does that mean so i'm trying to figure out who to whom to tell first right like I imagine, like, my, and let, let, let me think, let, let me let me think externally through this. I might have to change my mind as I go along. Yeah, but, that's, that's, that's how um, these go. My first gut hit is that if I were the client, mm-hmm. I would tell the therapist first. But the problem with that is, if indeed it is, like, say, the therapist's really, really close relative, like mom. Yeah. Um, so if, if a client came in and said, hey, I'm dating your mom, which would be really weird because my mom's still married, um, and monogamously so. Um, That's what you think. <laughs> uh, then I would probably have to refer them out because it's too close. Yep. Like dual relationship stuff. Even if you refer them out, your lives are still entwined in a weird way that would continue to be weird and tough well, to navigate depending on how close i am with yeah, my mom that's true that's right true. right not everybody's always close with their mom mm-hmm, um that's true. the hard part is if the th- if the client tells the person they're dating first uh then the then if indeed it is the mom then the mom will now know that the daughter 
you know, the, 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 you know, hypothetical daughter, uh, knows all this stuff about her dating life. And again, I don't know what that relationship is. What are your thoughts? Um, I, I think it's unethical not to talk about it with the parties involved. I mean, not, not unethical from a, like therapy, therapy point, ethics, yeah. but just as a human being. Sure. Yeah. Um, because I think if, well, first of all, this person is not bound by any confidentiality because no. they're the client. Sure. So they can tell the person mm-hmm. they're dating, they can tell their therapist. So that's all, that's not an issue you have to grapple mm-hmm. with. But I think it is putting those two in a really weird position to not be honest about it Mm -hmm. and it doesn't give you the opportunity to find out the real information it Mm -hmm. sounds like they are enjoying something about they say i'm kind of into it and that maybe they're even enjoying the secret that's there the possibility and it's playing out a weird like kind of triangulated fantasy and again while that may be pleasurable to you and no no shade for that, I don't think it's fair to the other people because they don't know what they're involved in. That could potentially actually be a really big problem for for them emotionally or professionally. And I like I don't think that Again, if it's a distant relative, it might, it'll be, it's weird, but it might be okay. But if this person's picture is everywhere, I'm guessing they're more involved in their mm-hmm. life. And I, as a therapist, I would not want to continue working with that client if they were in that relationship. Yeah. And it's not, it's because it's just, it, it crosses all kinds of boundaries that we don't want to and cross and like that we're not supposed to for good reasons. Mm. It's interesting that the the person who wrote in said, I would rather keep my therapist than their relationship. Yeah. I mean, that, you know, I mean, I don't know if they were being facetious or serious. Um, Well, you're you've known your therapist for longer and you've had, a you know, important relationship with them. I'm still trying to figure out even if they were to end the romantic relationship, whether I as a therapist would still be considering yeah depending on how long they've been you know it's just yeah well and it's unfortunate yeah. because it, they didn't do this on purpose no. they didn't like stalk their therapist yeah. family members and like find out who the therapist's mom was and then try to date her like i mean that would be a good subject for like a thriller or something <laughs> but this is like yeah, I mean, stuff happens and it's a small, you know, especially if you're in a smaller community. San Francisco even is small that way. I've ended oh, up in, yeah. I've ended up at a party at a client's house before yep. not knowing. Yep. And then and, and the person wasn't there. But as soon as enough clues came together for me to realize yeah. I was actually in her house. Yeah. I suddenly had to just like bolt. And, yes. And, and I did it so awkwardly that apparently, according to this client, the whole household was like trying to figure out oh, what no. what my secret was. Oh, no. The stranger who came in and like <laughs> suddenly like learned the names of the people who lived in the house and suddenly just like took off into the night. You know? mm, mm, mm-hmm. It's a weird profession, you it's know, a weird it's a profession. weird profession. But hmm. And there are certain boundaries that are more gray, but this feels like, oh, no, no. So if I think about like that. At the I, heart, I would hmm. feel vi- violated, honestly. Oh, as, as, as the mom, as the therapist or as the client? As either of 
the the mom or the therapist if i if this was happening and the person was hiding it from me oh if they were hiding it from you yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. absolutely um and not just violate it it puts us at risk in our profession to not have that particular piece of information yeah exactly um even though ultimately we could you know make that clear I'm trying to think about like clinically, right? Yeah. Like what are at the heart of it, what our jobs are. Mm. And part of it is to make things, this is not my term. I don't remember where I hear it. Talk aboutable. Talk aboutable. <laughs> right. It's like, it's like if my therapist, you know, if, if, you know, if you, if you stumble across your therapist's Facebook page or Instagram and they're in like a furry bikini on the playa, right? Like, do you hide that from them or do you go talk to them? Because it's a much yeah. wider version of this, right? Yeah. And it's like, so I'm trying to think about it. Any, what circumstances could this work out where the client can continue to see the therapist and that the therapist can hold it as such. So if it were a ongoing relationship with somebody close to the therapist, at maybe there's a therapist out there who would work with that, you know, like you said, small town situation, right? Kind of mm-hmm. you, you gotta. Um, but for myself, I probably would refer out. However, I'm only speaking for me. This is not for the entire profession. Um I can imagine that if this was somebody who had only gone on two or three dates with somebody um, who wasn't like my immediate family member uh, and they decided, you know what, that relationship is not going anywhere, but I want to be able to talk about it. As long as we could clinically talk about what it's like for them, because I have to, my job is to hold my end of it, go to my own therapist, go to my own, you know, know, consultant. And and like to be able to unpack with your therapist what is going on that like it kind of turns you on to be potentially sleeping with their mom. Yeah, that is rich, fertile soil for like good therapy work. Yeah, totally. If the therapist is the kind of therapist who can have those conversations, it could be really useful because maybe there is something going on in your relationship with your therapist unconsciously that's being played out here or mom issues <laughs> well always <laughs> there's always mom, mom issues. issues but whatever it whatever it is like like that would be a situation where it might be workable but you know that that depends on degrees of how deep in are you with the you know how close is the therapist to the person yeah you know that sort of stuff um and again none of this is like go do this right but this is just musings on what what we could do yeah yeah i think there isn't like a super clear answer the only thing that feels super clear to me is that you have like you should come clean because it does feel like a like a consent issue. Yeah. But the other piece of it is who to come clean to first or both. Right. Because in some well, ways. Well, I guess you can't do it simultaneously. Unless well, you're like, no. hey, person I'm dating, will you come into therapy with me? Oh, hi. Don't do that. <laughs> yeah. But it's, you know, for example, if you tell them both, right. Yeah. Uh, the therapist cannot actually talk to the other person right about this right um but the other person could try to talk to the therapist about this if they don't know if they don't understand that that's a boundary right so i'm trying to figure out like what would optimally like who would you optimally tell first i would probably tell the therapist first honestly just yeah. because it feels like a safer person to explore a complicated yeah. issue with even yeah. if it might throw them off and also know that they might need space between sessions to process process talk to consultant whatever they need to do to figure out how they're going to approach it so your therapist may not have a perfect uh response immediately (laughs) because that would i i mean i've i've had it happen where i mean i had somebody be like oh i was like oh do you need referrals for a couple a couple's therapist a client and they're like oh i already got one and they pulled a a name out of their pocket and it was my couple's therapist oh yeah and i was like 
it took me a week to kind of process yeah. and realize that actually I wasn't comfortable with them seeing the same couples therapist as me. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of specific to that client and like things that were going on in our in our mm-hmm. therapist client relationship. Mm-hmm. But I needed a little bit of time to have like a proper response to that. Oh, yeah. Have I, you, I was just kind of shocked. Have you read um, there's a new book out? I think Lori Gottlieb. Uh, maybe you should talk to someone. Oh, I've heard the title. Yeah, that, I haven't it's, read it. It's, yeah. it's, oh, sorry. Spoiler alert. Turn away <laughs> if you don't want to hear about this. Um, but la, yeah, la, 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 very similar situation in her oh, book. So like we do work in a, you know, smallish field. So yeah. any therapist who has a therapist. Oy. Yeah. Um, yeah. And just like, you know, I'm more out in the mm-hmm. world um, and on the Internet uh, than some therapists and that can bring things up. Yeah. Um, but even if you're not stuff still happens like you can't you can't avoid any anything any yeah. kind of overlap unless maybe you like purposely have your practice in a different city or something mm-hmm. <laughs> but that, I, li- yeah. I like the idea of talking to the therapist therapist first in the sense that that gives you space yeah right as a client to process that with your therapist before you decide what you want to do in total yeah and if I think yeah. that's the person who might have also the person that I feel like is is the consent issue matters more with who who might have the most to lose by because their license could be on the line for weird boundary stuff. Yeah. And well, like, I mean, really, the client has the most to lose, but yeah. Well, yeah, the client has a lot to lose, but I mean, in terms of the ethical piece of like sure. involving other people in this, sure. um, I think the therapist might have the most that they have to consider, consider. and yeah. like legally and ethically. So, yeah, yeah. and I'm... S- we, we're going to wrap this up because we, we need to end the show in a minute. But like, I just I just also want to say, like, this sounds like you're enjoying aspects of it, but it sounds really stressful, too. So um, I understand not wanting to lose your therapist yeah. or the person you're seeing. And that's a really tough spot to yeah. be in. I've been in sim- like not the same, but similar <laughs> spots of having to choose certain um, like people or choices professionally Mm -hmm. or how I am in the world just because of the rules of my profession and it it can be hard sometimes there can be a lot a lot of loss involved in that and just to reassure you know hopefully your therapist isn't just gonna like bolt out (laughs) I don't think they're gonna do that that even if worst 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 case scenario your particular therapist decides this is not workable for them that you might have, you know, time and space to process that loss and maybe they can help point you in the direction of somebody who might be a good fit. Yeah. Right. I know that that might be real scary, but, you know, yeah. most of us aren't going to bolt out of the room. Yeah. Well, Lily. 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 Are we super? We are super. We're a super <laughs> Lily. We are one super Lily. Wonder twin lilies. Yay. Activate. Yay. Ow. I'm sorry. Ouch. That- why, I'm wearing a ring we and I just bump. Yeah. <laughs> Oof. Um, so final question. Mm. The treasure is buried somewhere in San Francisco. Oh, right. What is the treasure? Where is it buried? I think the treasure is community. Mm. And the funny thing about San Francisco is I, it's actually buried in all these warehouses around the radio <laughs> station. Yeah. Pretty much every warehouse around, like every warehouse around here has some amazing community living mm. in it. Shh, don't tell everybody. Um, or yeah. we're just working. Yeah. Or we're just working. Yeah. And I think that that is the treasure. That's the true treasure of San Francisco. Mm. So finding those weird underground niche art spaces and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on the show again. Thank you for having me. It was have great. You, I'll have you again. I know because <laughs> there's there's always so much to talk about. Um, 
And uh, yeah, so again, people can find you on the internet at yep. lilysunmft.com. Lily spelled L-I-O-Y. Sun, like the sun in the sky. The sun in the sky. Um, and uh, anything, and, and yeah, seek Lily out for uh, all kinds of issues, including <laughs> singlehood and dating. And, and relatability. Relatability. Yep. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you. And, you know. tune into radical advice next week i actually don't have a guest next week but i'll come up with something fun um and keep listening to bff.fm go to bff.fm slash donate and help support the show and the station by becoming a bestie uh what else do i want to say honestly like take care of yourself take care of yourself find those ways to um yeah Find those ways to take care of yourself however you can and and make that list. See if there's one or two actions you can take today or this week that will, you know, help you feel like you're engaging in some small way um, and make space to feel those feelings. We're going to close out the show. Um, so one of my fave bands, Moom, this is Icelandic band, um, their early album had a uh, is doing like a remastering re-release soon and a couple of songs have come out where other artists have kind of collaborated with them to do new versions and so this song Smell Memory such a beautiful song uh, the Kronos Quartet local local uh, modern classical uh, <laughs> uh, composers and uh, Sasha who does Boy With Girls Name Morning Mixtape before the show uh, works for them and uh, the Kronos Quartet did a version with Moom of Smell Memory where they replaced some of the electronic instruments with strings. And it's just really beautiful and still captures the same feel of the original. And uh, yeah, so listen to a little bit of that. Stay tuned. Life and Time, Times of the Bourgeoisie is up next. Um, good luck. Delete Twitter from your phone if that's the right move for you. I feel great about it. Yay. Yay. Thank you again, Lily. Thank you, Lily. Oh, all right. Here we go. Smell Memory by Moom and the Kronos Quartet. Love self. Thank you.